Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back for part two of our podcast of the press conference with cosmologists Lawrence Krauss, Alan Guth, John Karlstrom, and Scott Dodelson, which took place on February 16th in Chicago at the annual meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. In part two, the researchers take questions from the media. Do you think the idea of inflation will, in the coming, in our lifetime, be so well confirmed that it will fulfill the demands of the Nobel Committee in Physics? <laughs> and, and in that case, which probe is most likely to, to give those results? I think uh, the, the, the amazing thing about inflation is that it, it, it is completely consistent with what we see. And the, and the key question you're right is, will consistency ultimately be enough to convince everyone that, it's, that it absolutely is? Uh, true. One of the, I think the many people think, and 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 Scott can can expand on this as can and John that that what's been called a smoking gun of inflation is gravitational waves. It's a prediction of inflation that is is ubiquitous. Almost no matter what you can do. Well, in fact, it's a generic feature of inflation, more generic than many other things. In fact, I've argued for twenty years it's the most generic feature that we should we should look for. So. If if these waves are discovered, and there's and 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 both Scott and I have been part of a group that's been looking at what we might be able to do in the next set of satellites that may look for this, and John has been a uh, a leader in thinking about the in building experiments to look for the, the, these things. If we detect gravitational waves from inflation, there is a real possibility of pinning things down enough so that one could perhaps convince every physicist that inflation happened. There are major stumbling blocks there and inflation at the same time is unfortunately so robust that it can't that it could be consistent with almost any any observation we could make <laughs> and that is a problem so so uh, but if we detect gravitational waves i think we'll be on a, a, a much closer to Alan having a free trip. Which probe is most what was that? Which, which probe, probe is most the, the, you, you could want to answer that. Looking for the signature of these inflationary gravitational waves. And there's gravitational waves laid out from inflation that time period. Their imprint in the polarization of the cosmic microwave background. So the number of different experiments, including John's, that are sensitive to this. So, for example, in Europe, Planck is going to be launched in April. So that is that will be much more sensitive by a factor of ten than the U.S.-based W mapbooks for satellite. And there are about a dozen people, a dozen experiments now looking for this polarization signature. So that, to some extent, tells you something. These are very complicated experiments with dozens or more people on each experiment. So people are voting with their feet. They think this is the most pressing problem to, to approach. Yeah. And um, I, I think we'll know in 10 years' time, we'll know whether or not we can detect gravitational waves from inflation. Uh, well, but the thing but that... That doesn't mean we will detect them. And, and in fact, the unfortunate thing is that the absence of gravitational waves is also completely consistent with inflation, uh, in the sense that that there are different, there are two fundamentally different theoretical ideas. One of which suggests strongly gravitational waves should be big enough to be seen in the next generation of experiment. Another one, um, based loosely on the idea of extra dimensions, suggests 
that the gravitational wave signature should be small. And so what we'll learn, we'll de- I, and this is really important, we'll definitely learn something profoundly useful. But of course, if, if we don't see them, what we'll learn is we'll rule out one set of models. One set of models will still be viable, but we won't have confirmed it. And of course, confirming is always better than ruling out, I suppose. Can, can I ask for the help of some of us, what, what small is when you come to a gravitational wave? Uh, oh, the, oh, that's important. We don't mean small in terms of wavelength. These gravitational waves we're going to they'll detect will be almost the size of the visible universe. Uh, but we mean uh, they'll produce signatures, temperature, well, in this case, the polarization of the microwave background, signatures which are, which are at the level, well, the next generation, the best we can imagine doing is, is getting a 1% uh, admixture of, of a signal from gravitational waves compared to, to, um, to um, the signal of the temperature fluctuations that we, that we kind of measure in the universe. And that's, and, and 1% would be an, it's sort of the, a holy grail in a way because it, it is probably as well as we can do experimentally and Scott may want to talk more about that. But it's also distinguishes the kind of scale. If it's bigger than 1%, one set of inflationary theories are probably right. If it's smaller than 1%, another might be right. But then just to add, and as I, as I often try and do, to muddy the water, I've also, we've also argued recently that unfortunately there are other mechanisms in the early universe that could also produce a gravitational wave signal that would mimic that due to inflation. And, and, and that's wonderfully exciting because it means if you discover these things, you'll look, you have a great probe of the early universe, but it might not be, it just might not be a unique probe of inflation. What's your uh, time span for the return to the 19th century, uh, turn of the century view because of what data is available? Oh, it's really, it's really soon. It's within about uh, between 100 billion and a trillion years. <laughs> which may actually, which may seem like a long time to you, compared maybe not long compared to this press conference. But, but uh, it, the interesting thing is that the universe will look large. I mean, the local universe will look largely the same at that point. The longest lived stars are much longer lived than that. Uh, so there'll be stars like our sun, and there'll be planets around those stars, and and civilizations that could be power, powered by solar power. So it's perfectly reasonable to expect that there'll be civilizations not that different than than our own that could arise, but. They will live in an empty, dark universe. And, uh, and in fact, what we said somewhat facetiously when we pointed this out was that we live in a very interesting time, namely the only time at which we can empirically verify that we live in a very interesting time. <laughs> <laughs> can I just add one thing? Yeah, sure, please. So, the, again, we're referring to this dark energy today. There are two possibilities that, again, yeah. are, lead to optimistic branches. And one is that um, dark energy today may not be vacuum energy. It may be something completely different. And a, a good piece of evidence for that is that inflation itself required dark energy. So it kind of makes sense to think, well, we had from some early epoch of dark energy, which is something we're trying to figure out. Maybe today is also a new type of dark energy we're trying to figure out, and it's not vacuum energy. So that would be, lead to a less pessimistic future. And the other ex- potentially exciting thing about dark energy is it might be connected to uh, very small particles called neutrinos. The mass scale is roughly about the, about the right, the same thing. So there are theories in which dark energy is connected to neutrinos. And if that's true, there's an enormous amount of research going on in neutrino physics today. The idea of connecting that theory of dark energy to something in the current you know, pantheon of particle physics is tremendously exciting. That would open up whole new vistas in, in our understanding. Thank yeah, you very much. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And, and let, let me add to what Scott said that, that if, if – uh, let me just add one sentence. that He's absolutely right, of course. But, um, and we may be lucky, and I hope we're lucky. 
But what Alan said is, is, is what, what I want to emphasize something about the negative features of what Alan said <laughs> is that if the vacuum energy is dark energy, we won't be able to prove it's dark energy. We'll, we'll, our experiments will narrow the uncertainty down to these parameters of dark energy. But we, but the closer it gets to dark energy, looking like dark energy, vacuum the less will be, or, or like vacuum energy, sorry, the less it will, that we'll be able to distinguish between vacuum energy and something that just looks like vacuum energy. And then, unfortunately, the only way we'll probably be able to answer that question is theory. And theory may be guided by things like the Large Hadron Collider. And that's why it's really an exciting fact that cosmology and particle physics are working together. But, but we may be unlucky. And as you know, for example, in particle physics, we have this amazing standard model, which has survived the test, of, unfortunately, of all experiments over the last 30 years without really telling us yet what the fundamental physics is. And we're hoping, we're hoping the Large Hadron Collider will tell us the answer there. But cosmology could be in a similar situation where these fundamental parameters are pinned down, but we need some new theor theoretical ideas. We don't, we don't know. And the great thing is not knowing because then you do the experiments and see. I just wanted Clark to, Cookson. I wanted to follow up what Scott just said. When you said connected to neutrinos, what, what would that mean if dark energy is connected to neutrinos? That the, um, the particles and fields responsible for dark energy are also responsible for the mass of neutrinos. The problem with the, I think part of the pessimism, and there is obviously some lingering pessimism in the field, is that we're inventing stuff, we're making stuff up, right? We're saying, oh, we deserve this acceleration, and we say, okay, there's dark energy. You, I mean, you can play tennis without a net for only so long before people start to call, call you on it. So <laughs> if, we can, if we can connect this dark energy to something we know exists, like neutrinos, and by connect I mean the, for example, a field which gives mass to neutrinos is also somehow driving the dark energy. Well, I think we'll all sleep a lot easier at night. Would this be an entirely new field? Or would it be an existing field manifesting itself oh, in a new way? Is it, um, is it new physics? It, it would definitely have to be. It's, so there's a, you know, there are these charts describing the standard model of particle physics. And Lawrence is, is right that we haven't yet had any experiments which lead us to move beyond that chart, except in the area of cosmology. So dark matter, dark energy, inflation, all require physics beyond the standard model. So this new field would have to lie outside that chart. So it would definitely be new physics. Okay. New physics and, and uh, that might be probable in particle accelerators. And I think that's a, a key thing, because then you have a new handle. And, um, and, uh, and that's what really what we need. Right. Another question. Are you ever afraid that dark energy might be a, a modern phlogiston theory? I hope it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the one of the things, let me, the, one of the biggest misconceptions about scientists, science is that we, we, we want to be right. In some sense, we want to be wrong. Because you that means there's is, something. Is it a legion? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, 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 uh, what what was most interesting is that m many of the basic ideas we now have are wrong because it means there's a lot of work left for theorists, and uh, and so I, I think the point is that we don't have a theory of dark energy. That's the key. That is the probably the key thing to stress, and it is the the most mysterious discovery from a fundamental theoretical perspective that has happened in a long time, and we have vague ideas. And the vacuum, as Alan pointed out, it, vacuum energy is of course a perfect a good explanation, except. When we try and explain it, we get the answer wrong. We, it's the worst prediction in all of physics. <laughs> and so um, 
we need it, it's it's very exciting from a theoretical perspective because it really means there's something profoundly important we need to understand that we don't and um and we're flailing about and and unfortunately Alan is right that right now the the best framed answer which I wouldn't argue is that well framed but that's the best framed <laughs> answer is that we may have many universes and it is what it is because it is what it is but, but boy, wouldn't that be an awful explanation? <laughs> I'll just go home now. We're done. Um, are there any bigger machines or more powerful machines with greater luminosity in the works that you know of that if the LHC doesn't? I don't see. Well, it would be. Well, there have been. There, the physics community has been thinking these machines take decades, to, at least a decade or two, to design and build if you have the political will and the economic will. And so there, what there had the physics community has come together around the particle physics community around a machine beyond the LHC called the ILC, um, the International Linear Collider. It's got a good name, and and it was being funded. Research on that was being funded because we need to we need to be able to develop these techniques well in advance. But at you know at the current time, I'd say I've, it's possible. That in the lifetime of the people in this room, they, the, the LHC may be the last big accelerator, given the, give, unless we have the, the, the will, the economic and political will, and the international collaboration to put together, and, and that would be a real shame, I would argue. Um, these machines sound expensive. They used to sound expensive before the bailout package. <laughs> um, uh, it used to be real money, but. Um, these machines are expensive. They might cost $10 billion, but it's $10 billion spread over a decade. And, and, uh, I would certainly argue that if, if we as a civilization don't have that kind of money to put together to ask, answer fundamental questions, then, then, um, it's truly a sad reflection on our civilization. Can I ask Alan what the latest thinking is on whether there's any possibility of detecting these other universes? Do they intersect our universe in any way that could be measurable? Uh, purely theoretical? I think that's still up for grabs. P people are certainly doing research on the question of what it would look like if we collided with another bubble uh, and how likely it is. It's certainly in principle possible for, bu for bubble universes to collide with each other. There's no doubt about that. Um, my own guess is that when the dust settles, uh, it's going to be something that's so unbelievably rare that we can't really expect to detect other universes in that way. That's my guess. But it's certainly well worth exploring, and, and work is being done. And I could be wrong. What I'm expressing is only a hunch. But that doesn't mean it'll be metaphysics. I want to point that out. I want to show my optimism. <laughs> People said if there are other universes and you can't detect them, then what's the difference between that and metaphysics? And the answer is we might be lucky enough to come up with a theory that explain, actually explains what we see, explains why the proton is 2,000 times heavier than the electron, explains why there's three generations of elementary particles, explains how the forces could be unified, and therefore is testable on a whole realm of, of ways. But one of its ancillary predictions may be that it definitely produces inflation, which would produce these other universes. And then you'd say, well, if I've measured, you know, 95 predictions of this theory and it explains everything and it explains one thing we can't see, then, then we're willing to accept that one thing we can't see. And the same was true, has been true in physics m many times. There are theories that have explained what we can see, but make predictions that we can't see that we, from the existence of atoms, uh, onward. And so, so it, 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 it may come down to the point where at least we have scientific 
strong scientific ways of probing a theory that does predict extra universes. One of the things that comes up in our newsroom a lot is this stuff is so divorced from the everyday reality of people who don't work in the field. When you're trying to connect these ideas with people who don't work in the field, what are some of the basic things you can tell them you know, about how their daily life is connected to and important to this? Well, um, I just came, personally, just came back from Paris a little while ago. This is the International Year of Astronomy in honor of Galileo's discovery. And I think if you look back at that for, it, it, with a historical perspective and ask how astronomy has changed our cultural, cultural perspective and our understanding of ourselves is profound, right? I mean, from Galileo's discovery of the moons of Jupiter that told us we were at the center of the universe to the discovery of the Big Bang that told us the universe had a beginning. Uh, and so I think what, I think while these questions are cosmic in a real sense and metaphorical sense, the, the, the fact is that, that our perception of where we came from, the fundamental questions that everyone asks about themselves, is inevitably determined by these discoveries. And, and you're absolutely right, there's no practical significance to them except to understand our perspective of our place in the universe. But I would argue the same is true for art, literature, and music. And we never ask why we do that. And so the only reason to ask these questions is, is, is because we un- want to understand ourselves at some level. And uh, cosmology gives us a profoundly, can profoundly affect our, our view of ourselves. It is true that whenever you ask fundamental questions from an experimental perspective, that the techniques you develop will inevitably produce economic benefits. But, and that's happened from the World Wide Web to other things. But I, I think my own feeling is you should never justify asking fundamental questions because of the ancillary benefits. It will affect our economy. It may be produce a thing that will change our economy a generation from now more than anything else. But the questions themselves are worth asking seems to me. If I understood uh, correctly, it is the dark energy that would make uh, the universe uh, less falsifiable in the future. Y- yeah, yeah. Well, it would, it would change, yes, it would change the <coughs> picture of the future more than anything else, yes. The dark energy is the culprit that will, that's changed our thinking in almost every way. What, what is the mechanism? Oh, it's, that mechanism is quite simple. It, dark, it, the dark energy is gravitationally repulsive, yeah. and it causes the expansion of the universe to accelerate. And distant objects will speed up and eventually be moving away from us faster than the speed of light. Now, that sounds like it's not allowed by Einstein, but we lied. Um, uh, it's, you have to be more like a lawyer and parse it more carefully. Nothing can move through space faster than the speed of light. But space can do whatever the hell it wants, as far as we know. And, and, and space can certainly expand faster than the speed of light. And even if you don't have dark energy, there are regions of the universe that are moving away from us now faster than the speed of light. And what happens when... That's the case is they carry objects with them, like a surfer on a wave, and the light from those objects cannot reach us. So eventually the universe will disappear from before our eyes in, in that sense. Can I ask a question that's been worrying me? Um, if, if the universe inflated itself out of borrowed energy uh, and then continues to expand indefinitely ever faster and faster, we end up with what sounds to an economist like a contradiction, that we, we, have, a, we have a mortgage that will never be foreclosed. Well, Alan put it well. I'll let him say it's the ultimate free lunch. Do you yeah. want to go and do it? Yeah, yeah, my slogan is the ultimate free lunch. It's, it's in fact not a mortgage. That's the point. Right. Uh, if in, even if inflation is not right, the universe itself, uh, given what we've observed about it, uh, is at least very close, if not exactly, at the point uh, where the total energy is zero, uh, where the all the energy of the galaxies and stars and all those things, which, of course, is positive energy, uh, is counterbalanced by a negative contribution to the energy. Energies are not always positive. Uh, the negative contribution comes from the gravitational field that fills the universe. 
And as long as the universe is near this borderline between being open and closed, uh, the total energy is very near or exactly zero. And I'm struggling with the concept of, 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 of something being near zero. I mean, I mean it, it seems that there's a huge difference between zero and... And near zero. Yeah. Well, there probably is. That's right. All I'm saying is that observationally we can tell, only tell zero, near zero. Theoretically, I think it's very appealing that it's exactly zero. Yeah. And that's one of the uh, things that's yeah. wonderful about inflation is it predicts in some, a natural mechanism for the energy to be essentially exactly yeah. zero. And, and Alan's observation of free lunch, I, I would argue, is extremely profound because um, it really means that it, you, most, it, I've written about this elsewhere, but that the universe could start from nothing. People say, you know, how can you get nothing from something? It used to be the biggest argument for God for some people. And the answer is, it's perfectly easy that you can start with nothing because if the total energy of the universe is zero now, it was zero back then, and quantum fluctuations and other things could easily create it. So I would argue that science has a mechanism that's perfectly rational and natural for creating a universe from nothing. In fact, Alan's mechanism is in some sense the most natural. And that, to me, goes a long way to answering this puzzle of how could you get something from nothing. What's the probability that some of the assumptions or even hypotheses are suspect that are leading us to dead-end roads? Well, or um, maybe the, the probability is that most, most ideas in physics are wrong. If they weren't, anyone could do it. Um, I mean, the probability yeah. is that, you know, many of the, what we're talking, much of what we're saying about our theoretical speculations will have to be revised. Of course, that's generally the case. And, um, I think what, what I think what you said before is true. People want to be wrong about all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is there's so many, in dark matter, dark energy inflation, there are now so many sets of different observations pointing to the same new stuff. So it's very difficult. I mean, people try to come up with alternative models, but there's always observations which constrain them. So it's, it's, you know, it's possible we're on the wrong track that we'll have to completely rethink everything. But there are so many different sets of observations, it's very hard to see how we'll be able to wriggle out of any of these things. Yes, I mean, what is certainly true is that all of the observations in cosmology, from the fundamental CMB measurements to the measurements of large-scale structure to the measurements of dark, the amount of mass in the universe, all seem to be converging on a single picture. The problem is that all aspects of that picture cannot yet be understood on fundamental grounds. But I will say that one of the great virtues of inflation is that it has explained many of the features that it, it allows an explanation of that many of the features of that picture, which otherwise, for which right now there's no other explanation. Do the new detections, if, if we detect the, 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 the dark matter particles or, or new supersymmetry particles, for example, neutralinos and axions, help to solve the problem also of, of dark energy? Well, no. no. Well, yes, well, no and yes. I mean, <laughs> we used to think the biggest problem was dark matter. Dark matter, it's profoundly important to measure this stuff, and the fact that we might see it at the LHC is or indirectly with looking at annihilation of dark matter particles in the galaxy is profoundly important. If we, what it will do, if we discover these dark matter particles, it will tell us that a number of key theoretical ideas in particle physics are in the right track. For example, supersymmetry, if we discover supersymmetric particles, it'll tell us something, I mean, that's a profoundly important idea that will affect the direction of, of theory. And, and supersymmetry, it is true, is at the basis of a lot of ideas, including string theory. It's not, a, it's not a true statement, and I want to emphasize this, that if we measure supersymmetry in any way, we have evidence of string theory. But it will, tell, it will direct our theoretical ideas in, in ways that may be important for ultimately answering that question. 
I guess another possibility is if we detect at the LHC evidence for extra dimensions, yeah. then that would also point to a different framework for understanding dark energy potential. <coughs> absolutely. Well, that, that's not likely, but absolutely. I mean, so it's so that's why you have to keep looking. In you don't know where the answer is going to come from, and you got to keep looking. And in a healthy world, uh, you you look in all the directions that are possible. Let me add one other thing that could be seen at the LHC. Uh, <clears throat> which I think would make most of us unhappy if it's seen, but uh, we, we could see evidence for more fine-tuning in nature than we've already seen in the cosmological constant. And that would be taken as evidence for this multiverse anthropic picture where the laws of physics are not determined by fundamental principles, but rather by a wide variety of things happening and certain things selecting for life. And what we may see at the LHC... This would be very sad, but we may see nothing, right? We may see nothing. Well, that would be and an example, I think, yeah, and I'm but, but but <laughs> I think the thing I want to stress that the, the journalist should stress is that seeing nothing is sometimes important. Mm-hmm. I mean, and uh, and I worry that, for example, if we see nothing at the Large Hadron Collider, that that would be a, an argument for people to say, "Oh, we shouldn't build the next one because after all, these guys are just saying they're going to keep finding things." But seeing nothing would be profoundly important. It's happened before. Uh, from the Michelson-Morley experiments, and which which seeing nothing led to, in some sense, to provided the basis of of special relativity, and so it will give us, no matter what happens, it's going to profoundly affect our picture of fundamental physics in a way which is of vital importance. Can you categorize what you mean by um, if it sounds if, if the LHC finds nothing? What does it finds nothing mean? Well, I mean, well, that I mean finds nothing new. Uh, it's looking, for example, um, I mean, everyone knows that, that one of the things it's designed to do is, is, is look for this particle called the Higgs particle, which is a vital part of the, of the standard model. And all of the indirect arguments suggest, which is the reason why it's being built, and that's another important thing. It's not we're not just building it there because we have the money. Mm-hmm. It's because, or we don't have the money, because we, it, it, all the physics tells us is some, it's quite likely to find something there. But what's just been realized, of course, is it, by thinking about these fine tunings that may be possible in nature that Alan was referring to, is that it's possible to fine tune the universe so that the Higgs is not observable. And if that were the case, Alan's absolutely right. The only really sensible explanation is, since all of the evidence suggests that unless you really fine tune things, the Higgs should be observable at the LAC or a machine like it, then it would tell us that that there's some other fundamental fine-tuning in nature that would su- strongly suggest that the universe we see is not uh, generic uh, and, and is very special. And that would certainly provide evidence that, that we're an outlier and therefore there must be more universes. Well, yeah. I, let me say that it, it, what Lauren said uh, is probably true. I'm not absolutely sure. Yeah. But what is also true is that if we find the Higgs and nothing else, yes, that's another most physicists would call that finding nothing. Yeah, in that, the sense that's, that we're pretty yeah. damn sure the Higgs is and there. Either one. And, phys- uh, and finding the Higgs and nothing else, in terms of physics, would similarly uh, yeah. would have similar consequences to what Lawrence was talking about. Yeah. That is, it would require so much fine-tuning. These ideas like supersymmetry are promoted uh, in that they explain why the Higgs is so light. Uh, if you find the Higgs and no supersymmetry and nothing like supersymmetry that provides an alternative explanation for why the Higgs is so light then the lightness of the Higgs particle becomes a problem like the cosmological constant. It's just far away from what we yeah. would expect and a plausible explanation and the only one that would be left under this hypothesis 
uh, would be that there are many universes and life only forms when the Higgs field is light. My own hope is that what we see at the L Large Hadron Collider will be none of the above, <laughs> and uh, then that we uh, the world's more exciting than we thought. If you see something, if you find the Higgs particle, it's good. If you don't find the Higgs particle, it's good. If you find this, it's a, is there anything okay. you could see at, at LHC or at some wildly dreamed up particle collider that would say, there's something, definitively, that this is a right idea or this is a wrong idea? You know, inflation is here or not. Oh, then it's going to do inflation. Um, I mean, no, look, we're reaching, we're reaching out to look at, to think about the universe on scales that are are so far much different than we can now measure that you have to understand it's the biggest extrapolation in probably a history of physics. Yeah, the, and the energy scale, which we think inflation may have happened on, is way beyond what could be reached by the LHC or the ILC or any collider we could possibly build on Earth. So we have to take baby steps. And... Um, there, there's always a chance of getting lucky, but what we need is some empirical tests of, of ideas that are leading us in the direction. And so the discovery of supersymmetry, for example, is going to definitively, if it's discovered, it will definitively direct our understanding of, of fundamental physics and suggest ideas about, about the scale at which inflation may have happened, which, are, which will restrict things tremendously. So we will get new handles, but, but, uh, but the scale... Of, that that's the interesting thing, the 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 experiment and observation in cosmology has been so successful that we are seriously trying to address questions on scales that have been are just as I said at the very beginning were previously unimaginable, and and therefore um, it may take quite a while before we can get the definitive experimental answers, and we have to recognize that possibility. I think the way to falsify inflation is to come up finding observations, finding things, and then a new theory, which would replace inflation that makes predictions which we could test. It's probably the only way inflation is going to go away. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's... In, there's that, in that, I can't think... Who knows what we'll find in the next 10, there, 20, 30 there's years. There's one thing, would you agree? I mean, there's sort of... There's a possibility of... of the, the fluctuations that are seen in the microwave background are what are called... or very close to what are called Gaussian. And... and that means kind of as random as they can be in a sense. And if for some reason, if if when you probed much deeper, you found that there was some fundamental non-Gaussianity, it, it, of course, again, wouldn't rule out inflation because it can accommodate things. But it would mean, it, it would be something that would directly point us in sort of a different direction. Do you agree? Well, it would point us towards certain types yeah, of inflationary yeah, yeah, models. That's I probably think right. Back right. what it would yeah. do. Yeah, that's and probably even are. then it can't plausible. And that's what I mean by these things, uh, the, the, we, by falsifiability. We may just have to give it up as a as a fundamental principle at some level, and that and that doesn't mean science will end at fundamental scale. It means the type of questions we can ask will be constrained. That was Alan Guth, John Carlstrom, Scott Dodelson, and Lawrence Krauss. You can read Krauss's article in the March 2008 Scientific American on our website. It's called "The End of Cosmology?" with a question mark. Now it's time to play Totally Bogus. Here are four science stories, only three are true. See if you know which story is totally bogus. Story one, Conan O'Brien recently reviewed the four forms of boron on Late Night, complete with diagrams. 
Story two, green tea has been found to augment the effectiveness of treatment for a couple of kinds of cancer. Story three, the skeleton of a mammoth was found in Los Angeles. And story four, another fossil of an ancient whale indicates that the whale probably gave birth on land. Time's up. Story one is true. Conan did do a feature about the four forms of boron. After the New York Times, it said there were only three forms. You can see O'Brien's hilarious rant. Just Google Conan and boron. Story four is true. A very rare fossil find of a pregnant whale indicates that the whale probably gave birth on land because the fetus was positioned to be born head first. For more, check out the February 16th episode of the Daily Siam podcast, 60 Second Science. And story three is true. An almost complete mammoth skeleton was unearthed in downtown Los Angeles at a construction site near the La Brea Tar Pits. The mammoth died about 40,000 years ago. He was in his late 40s. So young, tusk, tusk. All of which means that story two about green tea improving therapy against a couple of cancers is totally bogus. Because what is true is that a compound in green tea was shown to actually interfere with treatment against multiple myeloma and mantle cell lymphoma. The researchers had assumed that the tea compound would enhance the activity of the drug Velcade, but it apparently bonded to the therapeutic molecule, keeping it from binding to its true target. So remember, everything you swallow, regardless of how natural it is, is still a chemical which may interact with other chemicals. Well, that's it for this edition of Scientific American Science Talk. Check out Siam.com for the latest science news, including our coverage of the meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. For Scientific American Science Talk, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us.